0: So I wrote a sermon for today on Wednesday morning. I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Finished it just before lunch, way ahead of the curve. And then, you know, things happened. I sat staring at my computer for the last few days to think about what I should say today. The reality is this text did not change. The day we celebrate in the church also did not change. It is still the baptism of our Lord Sunday. And as much as we'd like to pretend differently, the world did not change either. White Christian nationalism took center stage on Wednesday, but it didn't suddenly come out of nowhere. And yet, I don't want to jump right into the gospel just yet this morning. I have just a thing to say first. For too long, we in the church have been afraid to rock the boat too hard or ruffle feathers or upset people. Watching news feeds on all sorts of social media on Wednesday showing Jesus saves signs and the Christian flag, whatever nonsense that is, us alongside Confederate flags told me everything I needed to know. Wednesday was a direct Assault on our neighbors and our siblings in Christ and on my own family. There is no way I will move into this gospel text, and I will, don't worry, I'll get there, without making one thing abundantly clear. So listen up. White supremacist nationalism has no place in this church, it is a sin. It is the opposite of godlike, and it is killing And these are not sad tears. These are rage tears. I want to be very clear. It is killing us. In the book of Exodus, there is a story about this very thing. There were snakes everywhere, literally a nightmare scenario for me and Katie. And the snakes were killing people, and the people were begging for help. And Moses took a snake, and he put it on a staff, and he told the people, look at it. Look at what's killing you. It is only by looking at what's killing you that you can be saved. You see, it is not a lack of giving or a pandemic or taking more inclusionary stances or calling God she once in a while that is killing the church. It is white supremacy and nationalism that disguises itself as Christianity. So we are going to look right at it. We will not look away. One of my clergy colleagues, Eric Clapp, said this week, Lutheran theology gives us the term simul justus espicator, which refers to humans as being sinners and saints simultaneously. It's this dual nature that explains why we are so quick as author Brendan Manning puts it, profess God with our lips and deny God with our lifestyle. Pastor Eric said it's why Luther said we need to remember our baptisms daily, that we might die to our sin and rise to new life each new day. Honesty about who we are at our best and our worst is the only path to becoming who we are called to be. We can't just say we're sinners. We can't just say we're saints. We are both. And so we come back to today's gospel and the title of this sermon, which is Beloved, is where we begin. It's the title of a poem by one of my favorites, Jan Richardson. We use her poetry often in worship here. Because as we take these steps from the place we are, to the place we are going, we need this daily and important reminder that beloved is where we begin. So we begin. I'm gonna begin with a story. One time when I was pretty little, but also definitely old enough to know better, I drank my grandmother's bottle of holy water that she kept by her bed. (laughs) Now, not the whole thing, mind you, just some of it. This might be the only time I'm thankful my grandmother is not alive to hear this story, because I don't know if she ever knew I did it. We were there for a holiday meal, as was our tradition, and after dinner, the adults were talking at the table, and my siblings and I were playing a rousing game of hide-and-seek. I hid in my grandmother's room next to her bed, just within reach of her bedside table. It was very handy, for when I realized my siblings were upstairs, you know, one hiding, one seeking, I had to sit and wait a little while, and, well, I got bored, and bored little Natalia usually got curious, and curiosity usually meant I did something leaning towards Naughty. I remember exactly what that bottle looked like and felt like. It was glass with ridges and a little flat spot in the middle with a cross on it. It was really heavy. It had this little metal screw top. (laughs) My family was Catholic growing up, devoutly so, was my grandmother, and I knew she prayed her rosary and made the sign of the cross with her holy water every day. She got it right from the baptismal font at that big and gorgeous Catholic church in New Munich, Minnesota. Holy water. So I drank it right up. Now, thinking about all the fingers and babies that had been in that font before my grandmother captured some water makes me kind of shudder a little bit at this point, but I just took a big old sip and I waited. I was sure that one of two things was bound to happen. Either I would get in trouble somehow, like God would know what I did, and I would He would either divine it to my very holy grandmother or I would burst into flames or something only a child's imagination could dream up. Or I was very sure I'd start glowing from within, maybe around my head, like the pictures of Mary that were all over my grandmother's house. And I would suddenly be able to speak to animals because the reach of Disney is wide and deep after all. I was very sure of that part. So I waited. And I waited, and I waited, and nothing happened. I was exactly the same. Oh, that was not the plan at all, so I drank just a little more. Just to make sure it wasn't a quantity issue. Still nothing. Holy water. How disappointing. It was just water. I had always thought the water of the font was so special. As a young Catholic kid, we made the sign of the cross with that water every time we walked in and out of the church. I kind of loved it. Though I will say, as a lefty, my grandmother made sure that I did the cross backwards. She made sure to tell me that. I always did it the wrong way because I did it with the wrong hand. That's another story for another day. I loved the days like today, baptism of our Lord Sunday, when the priest would take his evergreen branch and he would dip it into the water and we'd sing springs of water, bless the Lord, and he'd sprinkle us all and remind us that we, too, had been baptized. And my family sat in the front row, so we got a lot of sprinkling. Even then, as a young kid, I knew I needed to hear this regular reminder that I was loved that I was included in some bigger promise. It's why I drank that holy water. I needed to be sure. What better way to do it than ingest it? <laughs> when Martin Luther wrote his small catechism to help parents teach children about their faith, he said baptism is not plain water, but it is water included in God's command, Combined with God's Word. He said, Certainly not just water, but the Word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts the Word of God in the water. For without God's Word, the water is plain water, and it is not baptism. But with the Word of God, it is a baptism, that is, a life giving water, rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in Jesus Christ. Baptism is one of only two sacraments in the Lutheran Church, and while we do hold our sacraments in high regard, I think we can sometimes get caught up in what baptism means for us and how important it is. And when we do that, we can easily slide into making it some sort of requirement for our salvation. Today's Gospel, while only three verses long, tells us some very important things about our baptisms, which I want us to listen to and think about as we also wonder together today what it might look like to die to our sinful selves and rise to new life on this particular day, on this particular week. First, baptism is a declaration of something that is already true. It's not like Jesus was unloved by God or unclaimed by God until the moment that he was baptized. It was a public declaration of something already true. And this declaration was not for anyone but Jesus in the moment. In Mark's gospel, God says, You are my son. You are beloved. With you, I am well pleased. It doesn't say, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. That comes later. We'll get there. It's about a month away. But here it is all you. The declaration isn't so the people around Jesus know who he is. It's so Jesus knows who he is. And I've been thinking about this distinction all week. Why? Why does Jesus need to know this? Didn't he know it already? Isn't he fully God and fully human? Wouldn't he have this confidently already in his heart and head? In every telling of this baptism story, Jesus goes from this moment in the River Jordan into the wilderness. And in Mark's Gospel, it happens, as things do in Mark's Gospel, immediately. I do think Jesus needed to hear this reminder first. Before the hardest things. Before he went out and was alone and isolated and tempted. There is a very clear and important reminder to us today that baptism isn't some kind of insurance policy against hard things. He goes into hard things. This is important when we are tempted to believe that we just need to get baptized and then everything will be okay. You know, your life will be so blessed if you just bring yourself to the waters of baptism. God is just waiting for you to do this and then blessings everywhere, smooth sailing for you. Can you tell Pastor Chad got me the Joel Osteen Cuba blessings for Christmas? <laughs> I should have brought it, it's true. There's a reason Joel is so popular, even if we think his theology is equal with a white Christmas gift, which definitely is a wet elephant Christmas gift, I mean. We want to hear that there is something we can do to prevent difficulties in our lives. We want to prevent loss and illness and fear and hardship. The blessing I listened to yesterday said, just wait out the hard things. And I was like, okay, Joel. I fully understand this temptation to put all our hope and our expectations into one controllable moment. Just get baptized. You'll be fine because it is not that comforting to hear that life is hard. We should expect bad things to happen to everyone. So I get it. I get this need. But baptism is not an insurance policy against life happening. It is a reminder of your belovedness through all that is to come, good and bad, joy and sorrow. You are my beloved, Jesus heard. So what does Jesus do with this information? Because this is something we all have to contend with as well, and we learn a lot about this powerful moment. When we hear about our belovedness, what do we do? What do we do when we know we are loved beyond measure, when we are claimed and named and given new life? Well, what does Jesus do here? Does he use it to his advantage? like the cheap grace we so often hear about? Does he use it to hoard power or wealth? Does he take advantage of those who are scared or lonely or oppressed or vulnerable? No, of course not. He was sent out into the wilderness and while he was there, he was tempted to do all of those things with his belovedness. And instead of doing what so many of us do, which is take care of ourselves first, and if there's anything left over, then maybe I'll use it to help someone else, he gave his whole self so that we might live. He went in search of the lost and the forgotten and rescued those who were oppressed by the very ones who saw him as a threat to their power. He died changing a broken system. And that work is not yet done. So obviously not done. But beloved is where we begin. Not where we end. Not where we stay. Where we begin. This has felt even more true in this past week. It's where we begin. We don't get to stay in the baptismal font or in the River Jordan. Baptism tells us, All, all of us, the same thing. You are my beloved. You are my child. With you, I am well pleased. And I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that today, after this week. And more importantly, I need to be reminded that this is true before I was baptized. And it's true today, and it's true tomorrow, and it will remain true for the rest of my life. But it is where we begin, because there is work to do. Now, I mentioned the title of the sermon comes from a Jan Richardson poem of the same name, and her poem carries in it a reminder that we are, in every day, in every moment, in every hard thing, beloved. She says this, I cannot promise this will free you from danger, or from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of night. But I can tell you that on this path there will be help I can tell you on this way there will be rest. She ends her poem by reminding us of our names, whispered in this moment. Beloved. What Mark's gospel tells us today is that Jesus' baptism wasn't magic, and ours is not either. No matter if we got a cross on our head or we drank a bottle of holy water, It doesn't tell us anything that we don't already know, but it does matter. It matters to hear this promise spoken out loud. It matters for us to remember it regularly, to let that promise of what it means to be beloved sink deep into our bones. So we are going to take some time to do this. We're going to have a short moment of silence, And we are going to confess the ways which we have sinned and fallen short. We have already said our public confession. But in this moment of silence, I want you all to just take a second and confess to the ways you have upheld a system that is killing us. The sin of racism, sexism, nationalism. And then we are going to remember that we too, in our baptisms, have died to sin and have risen and daily rise to new life, and that we begin as we have ever been, beloved. To do this last part after the moment of silence, I have a blessing for all of us, written by local pastor and colleague of mine, made Herrick Carlson. It's called A Blessing for the Baptized. I'm going to read it. We'll have a moment of silence. Actually, we'll have a moment of silence, and then I'll read it. And then Paul and Amy are going to sing a song reminding us to not lose sight of God amidst chaos and to not give up on love. During that song, I want you all to take that water that you gathered, wherever it is in your house, on the floor, on the walls, who knows, and mark it with a cross. Use it and mark a cross on your forehead and say, I am a beloved child of God. If you are with other people in your household and you want to mark each other, I encourage you to do that. Right now, we trust that God's word is in the water. And that water becomes something different. It becomes a baptism. You say, you are a beloved child of God. We say this because it's true and we need to hear it And we need to be reminded that it is where we begin. And maybe you need to hear it now more than ever, or maybe you can take some time and hold on to it when you will surely need to hear it later. But no matter what, it is true. It has always been true. Beloved is where we begin. So we begin. a blessing for the baptized. This is a blessing that remembers your baptism and tells the story even if your memory cannot. It watched your community gather around you. It heard the water poured and felt the love expand. This blessing will travel every distance with assurance that baptism's promise does not wear thin over time. The gift is hardy and sure. You could not break it if you tried. Life has a firm grip on you, beloved one. It is more than enough. And so are you. Amen. So as evidenced by uh, I don't have a halo or some glowing thing, the the holy water I drank did not, (laughs) did not fundamentally change me, but my baptism sure did. And so we go into this world that does feel like chaos and does feel sometimes like it's really hard to find where God is in the midst of what is happening. And yet, beloved is where we begin. And today, like every day, we do not give up on love. So do we take our belovedness out with us into the world to love and serve the Lord? Thanks be to God.